Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the City of Hope Church podcast. This is a continuation of our small group series, and this is actually episode six. Thus far, we've talked about a couple different values, including uh, the gospel and identity. Uh, We covered those in about four weeks, and then also last week we spent some time diving into testimony. So if you haven't listened to those prior podcasts, uh, feel free to go back and and check those out. This week we're starting a brand new chapter, uh, a brand new value, and we're going to be talking about community. And so we're going to jump right in, and, and before I before we get started, I guess, like you said, before we hit the record button, Clay, this is this is one of those topics where it can feel, um, I guess it can kind of feel a little bit heavy, but it, but because we're born into this system and it's just the way it is, and what we're trying to do as Christians in, in almost every aspect of our life is we're trying to resist that. We're turning from those things and walking in a different direction. So uh, I pray that this... Uh, this chapter would be enlightening to us and we can be stirred and encouraged to uh, that there's a better way uh, yeah. than, than the things that we're reading about and talking about. So I'm going to read a, a quick quote that's found at the beginning of the book and we're just going to jump right in. The 20th century will be remembered as an age of wondrous creativity when Americans voluntarily shattered their lives into distant and dissonant fragments America's industries learned how to assemble atomic bombs, airplanes, iPads, and the genetic codes of life itself in the same era that American society disassembled the ancient overlap of family, food, faith, and the field of work. Americans reached for the stars as they withered their roots, inhabited space, but lost any sense of place. Yeah, that's on page 83, which I think we're going from 83 to 94. But, yeah, go ahead and say what you're going to say about that uh, about that quote there, Jeremy. Yeah, I, it's just it's interesting um, just the, the, the pace of life uh, in general, um, how we can do the, these great things. And we have so much going on. We have so much technology and, and this and that. And, and really, it's it's overwhelming, and 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 in doing so, we have uh, the language here. I really like, um, but we have disassembled s- such a yeah. simple, beautiful life where where it is, like it says right here, family gathering around a table uh, with, with a meal. Um, families these days, you know, rarely even gather at the table in their home to eat because they're so busy. Yeah. Uh, chasing all these other things and then and then faith and then and then work itself um it just seems like some of these very uh, the the values we're talking about the core values we've gotten away from those and and what i what i catch myself thinking is that if we're honest with ourselves like these are things that that we we have deep longings for when we talking when we're talking about community, and we're going to discuss some things that community provides for us and lack of community, um, what that leads to. But I mean, we're chasing we're chasing this thing, but at the at the end of the day, we're so busy, um, we're so disconnected from community and from of these some from of these found foundational simple things that 
we're just we're lost. Uh, I feel like, and um, yeah, I guess let's talk about the pace of life in general. Um, I've said this several times, but I read a book this past year called uh, "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." that kind of touches on this as well. And I, I highly recommend that book if you haven't read it. But, uh, but yeah, the rat race of life is exhausting. Uh, and to get back to a place of simplicity is extremely hard. It's extremely hard to resist the natural flow that, like, America is in. It's hard to get away from that. Yeah. No, I think, like you said, that <clears throat> we've we, – we live in a society, like that quote says, where we have uh, – created all these amazing things yeah like the cell phones that we carry are amazing and all and they're so powerful that they're actually enslaving us all whether we won't admit to it or not yeah and and we're all addicted to them and and they can we just we have technological advances i remember a a, a prophecy in the book of daniel where he talked talked about uh you know basically in the end many will run to and fro and increase in knowledge knowledge will multiply essentially and we know that knowledge is like doubling now at a, at a quicker rate than ever before so we have all this technology all this knowledge people are legitimately running to and fro i often uh just fantasize and daydream about a time when they just had horses and carriages and they had to like i couldn't you couldn't message me on facebook messenger you'd have had to send me a letter in the mail you know what i mean yeah and anybody can contact anybody we have world news instantly and you can get in your vehicle and i mean you know in in a, in a handful of hours be in another state and then come back tonight and and but but our lives are just we have gotten into such a fast-paced rhythm and we have all of these good things but but the question i guess is is kind of in all that we have gained with our current pace of life what have we actually lost or what are we losing Mm. and as christian people what is it that we need to contend for i'm not saying you know necessarily throw out your tv and your iphone even though that may be a very helpful thing but is it possible that we're gaining so much of the world and actually carrying carrying the rhythm and the yoke of the world's pace when we weren't necessarily designed for it and in so doing of gaining these worldly system type things we're we're slowly losing our souls mm-hmm. and what he's getting at is we we're we're making all we're making these advancements in society but deep down at the core of who we are as human beings, when we need family and community and a meal together and, and groups that love one another and, and are intimate with one another and, and share their hearts with each other, like we're, we're losing a lot of that. And he gets deeper into what that looks like as far as community. But this stuff is so hard because we, we, we realize our rhythms are unhealthy, I think. I think most people, like most people even, you know, say, gosh man we just got so much to do right now and 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 it's almost like you're halfway looking for pity but then you're also halfway bragging about how busy you are but Mm -hmm. then you're also kind of like saying that to make sure nobody else gives you nothing else to do like there's all these things running around we realize our pace is unhealthy but we're so enslaved to the speed Mm -hmm. and we think the things that we're doing are so important that we just we we don't even have the ability to say no. We need to reorganize our lives a little bit and focus on what healthy community looks like, so that we can live deeply. We don't want to just live shallow lives. I was, you know, you bought a book just because I mentioned it. I think Walden there, yeah, the other day by Henry David Thoreau. And the thing that was so funny, because in the book here it talks about like the Industrial Revolution. 
and how people going from from basically growing crops in their yard and working for the family and providing for the family and then the industrial revolution moved people into where they're working in factories yeah to make money to consume goods for the family see henry david thoreau lived in the 1800s when there was that shift taking place and he made this this statement he said i went to the woods because i wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Mm. And I think that's the thing. It's like we don't want to come to die and then discover that we had not actually lived and got down to the marrow of the meaning of life and what we're here for and the relationships and what we're, what we're actually called to be. And so, yeah, I mean, that book you read, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, it just, it gets into some crazy things as far as pace of life now mm-hmm. versus pace of life uh, throughout history and, and a, lot of, a lot of different things when it comes to that. But, you know, there, there are practices that we have to get involved in, I think, to find a, a healthier rhythm. But obviously, for sake of time, we need to focus in here on on community itself mm-hmm. and i think that that starts where he he makes this kind of dichotomy about living a life based on preference or commitment yeah and and the, the first part of this chapter it kind of unpacks a lot of that um i guess you could say the the heavy stuff where it's it's really re- honestly coming to a place where we realize um how preference based and selfish we are and one of the points he makes here too is like you mentioned um like post-industrial culture moving from like work and family and, and how all those things were interlinked into working into, into factories and different things like that. And, and so it moved from like a community to like small families. And now, um, so, so the large communal systems kind of uh, faded away and become smaller community and family units. And now those things, like the book says, are vanishing in the wake of post-industrial of the post-industrial revolution and now the individual is now primary so it's went from like community to small family units to now to where it's like you 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 it's very individual uh, based yeah and, and, and just to put that maybe in like terms you you think about i don't know i guess i'm old enough to kind of see this like when i when i was growing up and and, and probably this still happens some today i mean like maybe even in our neighborhood but the idea is is that you, you see a family sitting outside and this whole community, they've worked together that day. They've they've grown food together. And obviously like I'm I'm honestly not old enough to have grown crops and and been in the hunter gatherer tribal society or anything like that but you see that that that's where life started like people work together in this in this community if they went to church they went to church with the church was one mile from their home they were walking there Mm -hmm. and all those people in that little town you know they lived together in that kind of community they didn't have to go too far they were working to produce their stuff right there and then, like you said, when, when, when jobs, when technology increases, when jobs become more, well, then they go out. They go away to go work, to consume goods. But now that has increased so much 
that we have no sense of identity or community like families split up literally families kids get older they go to they're sent off to college mm-hmm. and even then it's it's but it's all about the individual what do you want to do as an individual because right. your identity is not found in being connected to a certain group of people really yeah and so now you're looking for connections but it's it's kind of in a different way and i, I had this thought like when we go to heaven you know, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I have, I have, uh, you know, I have some, I guess, some ideas about it. But when we are in heaven and Jesus returns and He sets up His kingdom on the earth, what does that look like? Like I don't know about you, but I imagine us legitimate. I don't imagine us sitting on iPhones and iPads and watching TV and having amazing technology. No, no, and like no. floating cars. You know what I mean? I imagine us growing crops yeah looking at the sunset oh yeah soaking it in deep yeah taking our time because we know we got millions upon millions of years yeah and we have such an abundance that we don't have to grip all day to get to make minimum wage yeah and then and then hopefully buy some decent stuff and because no we, we're out working the land joyfully and it's producing abundant fulfillment and we're just sitting back at the end of the day eating you know our our grapes and our steak and just enjoying life and, and living in simplicity. Yeah, that's it. I wonder, you know, if, if we think, sometimes I, I think progress is, as we think it as humans, is honestly a movement away from what is the most beautiful mm-hmm. on earth. And I don't know. I may be, you know, I may, I may be out of bounds, but I, I'm just thinking about that. Like, what does heaven most reflect? Is it this advancing, fast-paced, technologically advanced society? Or is it just the simple, beautiful things of life, the slowed down beauty of rest and peace and joy and enjoying the simple things. Yeah, ju- I mean, just from experience, I mean, you, I mean, you can ask yourself this too. When are the times when you feel most content and you do feel peace and things like that? You know, I was lucky enough to go out west here recently. And one of the cool things about those trips is you're basically backpacking, hiking, camping, things like that. You have no service except for here and there. And so literally your day ends when the sun goes down. You're sitting on a log with your buddy. You're eating a a freeze-dried meal. You, You wake up the next morning when the sun comes up, and you're just in creation all day. Time slows down. You don't have any distractions. You yeah. experience silence. I remember the first night I was in Wyoming laying under the stars. It amazed me how silent it was. Yeah. Other than just a, a couple things here and there. And so it's like, it, it's almost like in that moment you have this sense of this is how life is meant to be lived. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can obviously do that full time. However, I think we can begin to restructure our lives. Like you said, I think the best thing for us to, to, to tap into true living deep meaningful living we we do have to take a step and move backwards you know yeah. with a lot and, and, and technologies are good i'm not saying that you know like like you said earlier we're not knocking any of that however there's a very careful balance yeah i mean with all that well and and christians throughout history did not have any anything close to the technology we have but they but they all realized one very important thing that it was going to take spiritual practices mm. in order to get them in tune with the rhythm of the Father, so to speak, and to be connected to God spiritually in a way where you weren't just simply going with the pattern of this world. Mm-hmm. 
And so for Jesus, that meant solitude. That meant a lifestyle of prayer alone and secret. And a lot of people tapped into that. And so I, I guess my argument would be is on some level, you can still do the things that you do in life, go to work, take kids to a ball game, but you have got to figure out a way to to find moments like that's the reason there is a sabbath so to speak you need a day a week where you disconnect from some things mm. in order to connect to god and enjoy the more simple things in life yeah uh there's certain practices that we've got to do in order to do that but see and and, and here's the thing we're kind of getting off track because the thing that he's trying to hit at here in this particular chapter is how all this is intertwined within community, how our relationships are shallow as all get out yeah. because we're so fast-paced and frenetic. We connect with almost no one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even when we have small groups, man, it's like, well, we got to get this done in an hour and a half. we got to get somebody to watch the kids. you know. Like, And it's, it's very hard to, to mm-hmm. slow down for a moment to sit and, and, and suck the marrow out of life. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so he ends up talking about, uh, thick and thin peg and ethical communities. You yeah. want to break that down a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he gets into essentially how we try to forge, uh, communities nowadays and really how it, it's, uh, I'll just read kind of a little bit what he wrote here, but our communities are essentially forged by disconnected, disconnected spectators around a mutually loved experience like a rock concert or sporting match so we get involved in these communities and participate around something that we share in common um so it's it's very shallow and and he mentions even in the book like a book club like we join a book club and and the moment that the um the, the people select a book that we don't like we just check out you know, because it's, it's, it's not benefiting us anymore. So these, these communities are very shallow. They're very thin, again, peg communities. Uh, and then he talks about ethical or thick communities that are basically long-term commitments. Uh, they're marked by giving up rights and service. Um, they're built on relationships and responsibility. They're formed uh, by commitment, love, covenant. Um, and one of the, the shifts obviously that we're talking about in our whole social structure is that that this is what we're diving into. A lot of folks are moving away from thick communities and moving into very shallow, thin peg style communities. Velcro relationships. Yeah. It's super thin. You attach to it for a second, but anytime you need to, you can pull off of it and go somewhere else and attach to something else for, for a time being. Yeah. It's not based on covenant. It's not based on commitment. It's based on preference and it's developed in a consumer culture and here's here's the interesting thing i would ask you know if you read about on page 86 you know what is an ethical or a peg community if you read that and kind of understand it's like the difference between deep and shallow but my question is are our churches ethical or peg communities Mm -hmm. and that's what small groups tries to do because here's what here's the thing that i know it's like there there are people There are people that come to church, honestly, that I never get connected with. And the truth is it's impossible to get connected with 250 or how many ever people you you see in that moment of time. You're there an hour and a half. Yeah. What small groups attempts to do is give you an opportunity to actually develop some deeper relationships that are centered around Christ where you get to know some people and they get to know you and you're sharing. You're having true 
fellowship, biblical fellowship, where you share your heart, they share theirs, and you're essentially you're you're becoming one, mm-hmm. and you're getting to know one another, and it's based on you know what it's this isn't just like well I kind of like you or I kind no I'm committed to you. There are people that that may or may not necessarily be my preference in life, but I'm committed to them. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got a covenant with them. And we we have relationships that are deeper than that. And I think honestly, in 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 our current societal trend, church is set up in this consumer mindset where it's about like a Starbucks. It's like a business model. Yes, if you go in and you don't like the way it looks or smells or is set up, and they don't have a good enough product, then you then you go away because it's not about you committing to a group of people. It's about you uh, getting the product you want, mm. <laughs> and that's not church that's something else uh and you know i even i said in a message not too long ago about how now churches will even use that business model and i've went into a church where they say we've got a hassle-free guarantee that's the dumbest thing i mean excuse me for being rude (laughs) if you do that somebody (laughs) may be listening and they go to a church where where that happens but it shouldn't be a hassle-free guarantee. Yeah. If you're going to enter into covenant community with people, you're going to be hassled. Yeah, relationships are messy. <laughs> yes, they're messy. They're difficult. People are broken. Some of them are depressed. Some of them have went through the worst season of their life. Some of them are needy. Some of them are very selfish. Some of them are thinking only about themselves and, and, and are going to have a hard time adjusting to caring about you and your needs. But you enter into that and you make a commitment to that person not based on you because Jesus actually calls you to come in and deny yourself. That's what true love is. It's self-sacrificial. I'm denying myself for the betterment of another. Now, we don't always do that, but that's the direction we're growing into. And so I would say our church does not offer you a hassle-free guarantee. If you enter in, most likely, if you tend to go deep with God, if you, if you intend to, it's going, there's going to be some hassles involved. Yeah. And it's going to be a fight to make sure that you're connected in covenant community and you're putting Jesus at the front and you're denying yourself and saying, I'm going to learn to love people the way that Jesus loved me. For sure. And uh, and so that that's that's difficult, but, you know, consider. Yeah, I talked to uh, someone last night, and they were talking about how their small group was basically, it was a mixed bag of different folks from different ages and even different places and different walks of life, and it was extremely diverse. And it's 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 kind of you know it's hard at first to, to to make those connections, but as week after week, as you continue talking and praying together, and you're centered around the gospel and Jesus, how the, she was telling me just about how some of their conversations is incredible, just so many different perspectives and things like and that. And that's the way it should be. It's the yeah. family of God. Yeah. I mean, I get that we've got some groups that are certain ages, and sometimes that works well, but but. Uh, you know, you want to be developing relationships with people of all ages and yeah. all backgrounds, and 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 it's all centered around Jesus, mm-hmm. and that's what really brings us in. But but you know, he goes into more about the pro- the problem being that we basically uh, make decisions based on our individual preference, yeah, as opposed to our commitments, mm-hmm. and um, you know. I like that scripture in Second Timothy because he says, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Mark this, look in the last day, this, there are going to be perilous times, terrible times, and people will be, first thing, lovers of themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And uh, But that lovers of themselves thing, 
is really unique. There's a study uh, done about narcissism. He, do, he on page eighty seven he talks about it. This being the me generation. Um, he and that was the baby boomer generation in the nineteen seventies. I can't imagine what it's like. But he says this similar critique was then leveled upon the millennial generation, which is mine and yours, Jeremy. In 2013, in Time Magazine article, labeled them the me, me, me generation due to a 58% increase in narcissistic personality disorder compared to those in the 1980s. Mm. That's insane. Yeah. That means that we are so self-focused. And that's and here's the thing. You hear that stuff cropping up all the time, even in discussion about churches. Well, I don't like this. Well, I don't like that. The only reason you even voice your opinion like that is because you got some narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. And and here's the thing, all of us have that. Yeah. We all has. do it. Yeah. I do it. So I'm not I'm not saying that as a word of condemnation, but this is something that actually is bringing like a corrective mechanism into us to say you need to you need to challenge how much you're in love with yourself and your own selfish desires, that needs to be regularly challenged so that you can deny that and say, no, this isn't about me and my wants and my preferences. I'm not going to consume a product. I'm going to make a commitment to people the same one that Jesus made to me and mm. sacrifice myself to, to demonstrate that love. That is the purpose and the meaning of life. And the reason so many of us are depressed and just unfulfilled is because we still think that it's about me, me, me. Yeah. And we're like a vacuum sucking all this stuff up and never getting full because really the way to fullness is to be poured out in love for others. And it's kind of a paradox, but but that's what he's, you know, that's what we're being called to. Um, he says on the bottom of page 87, we are increasingly sacrificing commitment-based community for thin, temporary human interactions based on personal preference. And this choice is leading to instability, isolation, loss of freedom, and unknown identities. And uh, and I think that's I think that's true. I think because we're unwilling to make commitments, we 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 really lose who we are. We have very few long-standing relationships. Uh, we move from place to place looking for something, and if it doesn't work out, if somebody aggravates us, if we you know, somebody does does us wrong, we get offended, we hold that offense, we hold that grudge, we don't look for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are things that you learn only in community. Yeah. You only learn how to truly love in community when it's difficult. Yeah. When somebody has hurt you and you've been able to forgive, you've been able to overlook an offense, you've been able to go to your brother or sister and have a conversation with them about things and, and extend grace to them mm-hmm. and allow them to extend grace to you. And you go to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. And that's that's where real the real stuff happens. Yeah. But we just think if something doesn't go our way, well, that's a bad product. I'm gonna go shop somewhere else. Yeah. And you're gonna get the same thing. Yeah. Because it's just people at the end of the day. Yeah, and those things can be difficult. Obviously, anytime you you're dealing with someone, it's messy. You have to have difficult conversations or whatever it may be. Like it's not the easiest thing to do, but the the easiest thing is very rarely the best thing. Um. And yeah, I've I've even had conversations about some of this stuff, like when I used to teach, like with teenagers and stuff like that. And sometimes the reply would I get, "Well, well, what's it hurt?" Like you know, for like the, our addictions to our cell phone. What I'm you know, I'm just scrolling through social media, looking at whatever, watching videos. Like, what's that hurt? And we don't realize it that you know, just because you're getting instant gratification, or you know, all the time, we don't see 
that it leads to some extremely deep-rooted things like instability in our lives. And he goes uh, into a bit of detail on all those things, but the four main things that the individual preference and then a preference-based society leads to is, is, you mentioned them, instability, isolation, loss of freedom, and then at the end of the day, Unknown we don't know who identity. we are. We have unknown identity. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's tragic and terrible. Um, and and here's, here's something, too. Um, I think I don't want to jump too far ahead or anything, but really what it boils down to is a, uh, a fear. When, when we talk about community, when we talk about making um, – making choices to have relationships that are you're in it for the long haul so to speak it it and we can come back to some other things but i, I want to touch on this but sometimes we have some legitimate fears uh of making those commitments and he mentions in the book here that you know now on average 50 percent of marriages end in divorce so the you know and and i grew up in a, a broken home my grand, grandparents pretty much raised me i have relationships with my parents now and and things like that but but nonetheless, I experienced that. So the very first covenant commitment that many of us experience ends in heartbreak. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we, we see, you know, in social media and the news around us, so much corruption, whether it be, uh, you know, whatever it is in politics or whatever, or we see all these things, even in religious organizations. Um, and so we're, we're heartbreaking, heartbroken, we're, we're let down in terms of, you know, some very core commitments and we don't see other people holding their end of the bargain. And at the end of the day, we're afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. Um, and what's the point in pouring myself out if I'm not, if they're not going to, re- you know, reciprocate and, yeah. be, and be committed in that way for me. And then we're just, we're just jaded. Yeah. I mean, really in places I've commit myself, I, I gotta be honest with you. I've been hurt. People have yeah. said some pretty bad yeah. things about me in, in different places. But, I, but again, I'm just a big believer that in in those places is where is where Jesus brings true healing, mm-hmm. and then you get to see other people, you know, the way that Jesus sees you, that you're broken and in need of grace, and and when we can actually see people in that way, it helps us to do like Jesus. You know, Jesus is going to commit to us whether we commit or not, and that's true love. Yeah, and we're not all there yet. But that's what we're being called to. And I think, and that you know, that goes back to even last week. If you're going to really enter into community deeply and be vulnerable, and vulnerable means that you're open to being wounded, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you're, if you're going to do that, you have to process your own past pain. you got to forgive some people. you got to give up that bitterness and let, let Jesus take away that bitterness from you so that some joy and some peace can come back in. And then you start to look at people through the eyes of love instead of like distrust and cynicism and being always being critical. People people stink. Like mm-hmm. I get that. They're sinners and they're broken. But but Jesus should do something so radical in our hearts that we don't hold that against them and we don't remain jaded. Instead we demonstrate his love and we seek to demonstrate that radical community. Um yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel is he takes all of that brokenness and, and can use it for good. 
like even even looking back in my own life and things I've experienced and you know growing up in a broken home and things like that of course there's wounds but also it it really does kind of um as cliche as it may sound you know by going through that I kind of you know going into marriage and going into you know fatherhood and things like that especially with my relationship with Jesus being there I understood very clearly uh what I didn't want to happen and and I experienced the brokenness of that and and now that's the, the last thing that I want my kids to experience for example like I don't want their right. you know first encounter with the most holy of covenants to to be to be broken and so my wife and I it's a very sacred thing like we're going to fight for it right you know when it gets hard and when it gets and that's what we're talking about right here these these covenants and these communities and when we're building relationships with people being willing to 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 fight for it and work towards a um, and and he goes on in the book here so we've we've covered you know a preference-based society and, and being very selfish and things like that and he moves into talking about a commitment-based society and really that's the reversal of so the negative things that we talked about with individual preference being instability isolation loss of freedom and unknown identity when we're involved in commitment-based relationships and we're um, getting involved in those things we actually experience the opposite we find stability in our lives we find intimacy in our lives we find actual freedom and and ultimately we find our identity um and and yeah and so that's a that's a beautiful thing as well yeah and he talks about how you know you are the promises that you keep yeah yeah what i promise is what i am and will be to my people the ones who belong to me and depend upon me Mm. you're a mother because you make and keep promises to provide for your children you're a teacher because you make and keep promises to a classroom of students. You're not who you are based on what you wish to be, but based on what you do each day consistently. Mm. Mm. And uh, and so we have that fear of commitment, but he's called us to make, make those promises and keep them. And those promises are based around the gospel, based around our new identity in Christ, based around what Jesus has done for us, and so what Jesus has promised to me and done for me, I should in turn promise to you and seek to do for you. Mm-hmm. And when I fall short, there's forgiveness, there's tenderheartedness, there's grace and reconciliation, which only actually teaches us a deeper level of love in community. Mm-hmm. I mean, the greatest level of love, you know, I sat with my wife last night and we prayed, and and I cried because there were some things in my life that that need to change. You know what I'm saying? And the deepest level of love is when you're able to share our struggles and pray for one another and they know the deepest worst parts of you but yet you're you know you're praying for wholeness in that. Mm-hmm. And that's what true community is and this Velcro community is I'm only going to show you the best of me. I'm never going to let you into anything deep. I'm not going to let you see the ugly side of me and if you show me your ugly side I'm cutting you off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's not that's not deep. That's not deep community. No. So no. I, you know, in Acts 2, which we probably need to be wrapping it up, but in Acts 2, we talked about this, and I have like a a little rewrite of it that I've read before. But in Acts 2, it talks about that community they have because it was, you know, 
Rodney Stark, I think he was a sociologist, and he basically said that the the early church, the Christian movement, was one of the most historically amazing movements of all time at its rapid growth mm. and how it essentially in a matter of 300 years took over. I mean, they went from a handful of people at Jesus' death to literally over half of the entire population of the earth. And they didn't have any of the things that we have. They didn't have good bands and good music and sweet lights and you know, didn't have any of that. Didn't have a coffee shop. Matter of fact, they were persecuted. What they had was radical, loving community that were committed to one another. And when people saw it, they were attracted to it. Yeah. And Acts, Acts 2, it says, uh, verse 42 through 47, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's what we're talking about, community. Koinonia, sharing life with one another. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Mm. See, people saw that that community, that even just them breaking bread with one another from house to house, eating their food together with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising the Lord, having all things in common. When a brother or sister was in need, they met that need. When 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 they met together, they were gathering around the teaching. They were praying together. And when people saw it, man, it, it encouraged them. And they said, this is what we want to be a part of. Mm. There was a guy, and I read this before. If, if we got time, I'll read it again. Yeah, go for it. Um, but it's it's a, a modern rewrite of that that I just read. It's the Gospel of America this guy wrote. And he said, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship or went to small group when they could fit it in. Mm. They prayed when they needed something and had coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectation for signs and wonders in their midst. Some of the believers got together and talked about generosity, but they ended up keeping all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes, and they rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all other people, and occasionally someone was randomly saved. <laughs> that's, that's not, I mean, yeah. it's funny to read that, but the thing you think about it is, is how true is that? Yeah. that's If, if we're honest with ourselves, that is so true, and that's how we operate a lot of times. Yeah, and this is one of those things, I think, when it comes to community. Like when I read through this, and I read this book a couple of years ago, but when I read through this and I actually dove into like what the church is and, and what community is, I realized that I had basically just been programmed into a cycle of living where I was completely content and thought it a good thing to have like that that level of shallowness mm. and just wasn't even aware mm-hmm. of, of, of being like that and treating things with little commitment and just and, and, and just having some shallowness to that but i mean this is the reason we go after small groups as hard as it is sometimes is because you have to figure out a way to break through the surface to really have these biblical relationships to build a biblical community and here's the thing we're not there yet but we're getting there and we're fighting for it 
and and I see, I mean, I do see things happening. Like I th- even yeah. in our small groups right now, there's some amazing things happening. Yeah. And you just see that building and people hungry for God and wanting to hear from the Lord and, and loving one another and caring for one another because you see these commitments being made. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I just encourage people to to really pay attention to that in your in your own heart and life and and make that commitment to one another and even to yourself. Uh, yeah, it's hard to do, and that, and I encourage everybody to to evaluate their life. And you know, my wife and I, we were at a place in life, and still, I'm with my personality. I have to like keep this in check all the time because I'm always like wanting to be on the go and do things. Uh, but there was a point in time where uh, we we examined like a week in our lives, and we legitimately did not have time to sit down as a family. Like it it was it was something all the time. Like we were just saying yes to everything. Yeah. And so it's it's good to to think about this. I you know the last thing we want this to do is like discourage you, but it, uh, we want it to um, allow the Holy Spirit to reveal some blind sides to bring correction and, and maybe some conviction, but at the same time, look at those things and, and look at some areas where you could maybe start making some changes or, you know, having someone over for dinner or be a little bit more committed to, uh, to, to someone or to your small group or whatever it may be. Um, and, and so, yeah, be thinking into those things and praying into those things. Next week, we're going to jump into, some really good stuff, the way of Jesus, um, and talking more about community. Um, yeah, so uh, I want to say this right here on page 94 as we close out. Um, Alfred Lord Tennyson famously said, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." Yeah. Yeah. Community is messy. It's it's tough, but it's so so worth it. The most even more beautiful than that. Since we're there, <laughs> I'll just read this and then we'll then we'll shut it down. But C.S. Lewis, right there underneath that, he said, uh, "To love at all is to be vulnerable. That means to be open to being wounded. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal." Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Mm. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And what he's saying is, love is hard. You see that most clearly in Jesus. He loved so much that look at the pain that he suffered out of his love for us. But still, he was willing to go through it because love is greater than all of the pain you could ever experience. Mm -hmm. And in order to truly love... You have to sometimes go through pain. Yeah. But, man, that's it's good. It's good stuff. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we will talk to you on the next one.